0: The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of The Magic Wand features violence, murder, references to slavery, and child abduction. Please exercise caution for children under 13. Daisy hobbled back and forth across her porch, her hands anxiously shaking. Her 11-year-old daughter, Katie, had been gone all day. She was strong-willed and independent, but she always listened to her mother. And Daisy had been very clear with her instructions that morning, straight to the butcher and right back. Katie should have been back by noon. Now the harvest moon was rising. The storm rolling in from the bay made Daisy's bum knee ache. She sat on the front stoop, resting her cane on her thighs, and watched the warm glow of her neighbor John's torch as he hunted for her daughter. Daisy wanted to scavenge the tide pools and beaches with him, but she knew she wouldn't get very far on one good leg. Instead, she repeated to herself, any minute now, any minute, Katie's going to appear. The last of the orange leaves fluttered off of the maple trees and onto her porch. Then Daisy heard something, the sound of the dinner plates rattling. The ocean breeze must have shot through the open door, she thought. But as she slowly stood up and turned around, she caught a distinct aroma. At first, she smiled at the familiar smell, slow-roasted pork brisket, but Daisy's jaw dropped as she spotted the kitchen table. Plopped on the formerly empty surface was a hunk of perfectly charred brisket, but it wasn't just the pork. It was a full meal of corn, greens, and rice, the very meal Daisy had hoped to cook that day, with her exact spice blend. A chill ran down her spine. Where did it come from? And where exactly was her daughter? I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from ParCast. This October, join us for Season of the Witch, a ParCast Halloween storytelling special. Over the next four weeks, we'll wrap ourselves in a cloak of witchy topics across four different shows. Here on Tales, witches seek to satisfy their cannibalistic cravings. On Haunted Places, we'll explore the Salem witch trials and meet the victims who still will refuse to go quietly. On Urban Legends, we'll learn that meddling with magic can have deadly consequences. And be sure to tune in to Superstitions, where a cult like coven puts a new age spin on witchcraft. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free, exclusively on Spotify. Today, we're combing the swamps of the Chesapeake Bay with the Magic Wand. This African American folktale follows a plucky young girl. Katie, who encounters a backwoods witch with a powerful wand. She thinks the magic is enchanting at first. Coming up, Katie wanders off the beaten path.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit AnytimeFitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
0: The Magic Wand first appeared in print in 1922 in the 35th volume of the Journal of American Folklore. The magazine titled it Magic Flight referencing the main character's escape from dark magic rather than a more typical flying broomstick. Other versions of the tale may have taken different names, considering it comes from a long oral tradition. Variants on the tale can be found around the American South and in the Bahamas. The origins of the printed version, however, bring a particular context to the story. It was transcribed by A.M. Bacon and E.C. Parsons and is attributed to Thelma Kennedy from Hampton, Virginia. Virginia. Hampton, Virginia, where in August of 1619, the White Lion docked in the local Point Comfort. The European privateers of the White Lion sold enslaved men and women who were likely from the Ndongo Kingdom in West Central Africa. It was the official start of the North American slave trade. The Ndongo people brought to Hampton had been hunted by a group called the Imbangala, a warrior group from central Angola. The Imbangala acted as mercenaries for the Portuguese. Legend has it they killed newborns by burying them alive and filled their ranks by capturing children from other kingdoms. For the Ndongo people, sticking close to home wasn't about sentiment. It was about survival. Katie ran out the door, unable to contain her excitement. Her mother, Daisy, had never sent her to the market all alone. It was a huge milestone for the almost 12-year-old. For the first time in her life, she had grown-up responsibilities. But more importantly, she had independence. Katie leapt from the porch and landed with a satisfying crunch of dried leaves. She was ready to run free, but her mother's cane tapped behind her. Katie turned back around to the porch. Daisy leaned against a post, taking the weight off her crooked leg. She cocked an eyebrow at her daughter. Now, what are you going to do today? Katie dutifully recited. Go to the butcher. Buy a four-pound brisket. Come straight back. Daisy raised her voice again. And what aren't you going to do today? Katie sighed. I'm not going to dally at the market or go to the library. Daisy shook her head, not satisfied. Katie rolled her eyes. Or take shortcuts. Finally, Daisy gave a satisfied nod, eased down onto the porch and rubbed her bad knee. She pointed to her cheek. Katie ran up the steps and gave her a quick kiss, suppressing a sigh of frustration. Her mother was far too protective. She treated Katie like a toddler. She was probably even going to bring up, yes, Mr. Molasses. Daisy whispered conspiratorially. Now, if you get lost, just call out to you-know-who. Katie wiggled free from her mother and hopped back off the porch. She did not have time for a Mr. Molasses story right now. She used to like the stories. Mr. Molasses was really the only thing that she knew about her mother's childhood. He was Daisy's so-called friend, a tiny man who wore bib overalls and a straw hat. He lived in a butter churn, gave Daisy advice when she was worried, and protected her all thanks to the fact that he was, apparently, made of good magic. Daisy would always change the subject when Katie asked about the farm or how she hurt her knee. The only thing Katie could gather was that her mother would never go back. But she was pretty certain her mother had made Mr. Molasses up, and she was absolutely certain she didn't need him or his magic. She was an independent woman. Skipping through the stone gate at the end of their road, Katie felt a rush of cool autumn breeze blowing in from the sea. Today was going to be a great day. She was free. As the stone gate disappeared behind her, Katie heard the distinct thuds of an axe chopping wood. A smile spread across her face. It was her neighbor, John. He was a mountain of a man with broad shoulders and deep-set eyes. He terrified most everyone, but they didn't know him. Katie waved excitedly. John, I'm going to the butcher all by myself, picking up meat for brisket. John dropped his axe to his side, wiped his brow, and flashed her his sweet smile. Look at you, all grown-up. But you know that thing has to cook all day. You better hurry back. Katie laughed. Course I'll hurry. You know Mama will be watching the clock. I'll see you faster than you can cut up that tree. Then she ran on with a wave. Katie only slowed when she came to a break in the trees and the fork in the road. To the right, the path twisted and wound all the way to the coastline before cutting back to town. But to the left was a straight path along the tide pool. It went directly to town and was exactly the shortcut that her mother didn't want her taking. The tide pools were dangerous, she said, and the people on that side of town were untrustworthy. Katie looked back and forth between the two roads. If her mom really wanted her to make it back in a hurry, the shorter path was certainly better. And if she got back earlier, she could help her mother cook or hang around John while he worked. It gave her options. Plus, everyone would be impressed with her speed. She turned to her left, her mind made up. The path might be less safe, but an adult could handle it. Katie's run slowed to a trot, then to a walk. She was getting tired, and she was starting to feel nervous. It was eerily quiet. There were no birds chirping, and the cool ocean breeze seemed blocked by a growing forest of twigs and branches. That wasn't right. Katie knew nature was never silent. She stopped Straining her ears for some sign of life. And then she heard it, a creaking sound, right behind her. Katie spun around and froze. She was looking at a cabin. Katie wasn't sure how she'd missed it. It was the only one on the entire road. The tree line must have hit it. But it wasn't just the house that appeared from out of nowhere. A tall, beautiful woman stood in the doorway, smiling at Katie. Her hand was outstretched, and in it was a shiny red apple. Hello! I haven't seen you around these parts before. Katie stared past the woman into her home. She could see a giant bookshelf behind her. Apples and books were Katie's two favorite things. Dazzled, she stammered, "'Hi, are are all those your books?' The woman chuckled. "'Indeed they are. I have too many to read and too many apples to eat. Would you like to come inside?' Katie looked down the road. She could see the edge of town. She was so close. But thanks to the shortcut, she did have plenty of time. Katie inched toward the stranger as she backed into her house, still holding out that apple. Katie reached out her hand. One apple wouldn't hurt, right? Coming up, Katie gets to know her new friend and try out her magic wand. It's October 20th, 2018. One day until
1: the end of the world. I'm on the compound of a secretive religious organization interviewing a longtime member. Their leader has predicted that tomorrow will be the beginning of the apocalypse. The prediction, yes, I am prepared. It will purify life from a lot of illusions. When I started working on this story, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. But the end of the world was just the beginning.
0: The only way
1: to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. The
0: angels, they arranged it that he is supposed to have sex with his students. He is an amazing teacher, and also he's a sick This
1: is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.
0: Now, back to the story. Katie reached out her hand and took the bright, shiny apple from the strange woman. She knew she wasn't supposed to be on this road and knew she wasn't supposed to stop and talk to strangers, but the fruit looked too good to pass up. Katie bit into the apple. It was crisp and juicy, perfect. Katie gobbled down half the apple before finally looking up at the stranger. Thank you, Miss. The beautiful woman curtsied. Bonnie. And what is your name? You have the most beautiful skin. Your family is from the Ndongo Kingdom, no? Katie shrugged. I'm Katie. She wasn't sure where her family was from, but Katie's history was far from her most pressing concern at the moment. Her eyes were locked on Bonnie, who pulled out another apple from her apron. Bonnie waved for her. Why don't you come inside? Katie waffled. The sun was already high above her, but she still had more than enough time to get to the butchers and back, thinking... Katie licked the apple juice off her lips, sugary proof she was capable of making the right decision. Bonnie motioned toward the bookcase behind her. You can pull whatever book you're interested in from the shelf. I'll make a pot of tea if you like. Slowly, Katie nodded, That sounded too heavenly to refuse. Katie's eyes went wide as she entered the woman's cabin. While it was quaint on the outside, it was beautiful and warm on the inside. Lifelike portraits hung on the walls as if frozen in time. A massive fireplace heated the whole house, melting the autumn chill right off of Katie. A giant cauldron sat above the fire, the stew softly bubbling. And the books. Katie had never seen so many books in a home before. It looked like Bonnie had half the library to herself. Katie excitedly read the spines. Dickens, Poe, Hawthorne. These are all of my favorites. Bonnie smiled and waved her hand toward a plush chair by the front window. They're my favorites, too. I could tell when I saw you walking by that you were a smart one. Pick something out and plant yourself by the fire. I'll treat you to another apple. Katie glanced back at the door and the sun overhead, but she'd already made her decision. One look at one book, then she would get to the butcher. She curled up in the plush chair between the fire and the window with a collection of Hawthorne stories. The pictures were as alive as the portraits. Everything in Bonnie's cabin seemed alive. Katie devoured another apple, then another, as she flipped through the pages. Bonnie floated in and out of the room, making Katie laugh with stories of her childhood in Massachusetts. The cranberry bogs sounded wonderful. Bonnie had lived such a wild life. Katie had never met anyone quite like her. Before Katie knew it, she was at the end of the book. Next to her was a bowl full of apple cores. And finally, Her eyes shot back to the window. The setting sun cast an orange glow over the bare maple trees in the forest. The picturesque view belied Katie's reality. Panic set in. Katie leapt from the chair. I'm sorry, but I must leave, Miss Bonnie. I have to get to town. Bonnie crossed her arms and frowned. So soon? I was really hoping you would stay for dinner. Katie barely slowed down as she put the book back in its place on the shelf. That sounds lovely, but I have to get to the butcher and get back home so my mother can make dinner. Katie threw open the front door. A soft rain fell in front of her, but as she steeled herself for a sprint through the damp, Bonnie's pretty voice called out. You know, Katie, if dinner is the only reason you must go, I can take care of that for you. Katie turned back, confused. Bonnie nodded, a sincere look on her face. I can make sure your mother has food, and then you could stay and have dinner with me. Bonnie reached into her apron and pulled out a black wand. She ran her finger along its length. Then, Bonnie arched an eyebrow and pointed the wand to the kitchen table. In a flash, the kitchen table was full of green beans, potatoes, a succulent roast chicken, and a steaming apple pie. Katie couldn't believe her senses. This had to be some sort of trick. She inched across the room toward the table. Slowly, she reached out her hand toward the chicken. Katie poked her finger against its golden skin and cried out in pain. It was hot to the touch. Bonnie held out the wand to Katie. Now all you have to do is picture what you want to appear and point the wand toward your house, imagine it on your kitchen table, and then poof. There it will be. Katie reached for the wand, but hesitated. How are you a witch? Bonnie laughed. Which is such a derogatory term. I am a well-read and independent woman. Some people are scared of us. I am a conjurer, if that's what you mean. But this magic is good and helpful, and I'll happily share it with you. Katie's eyes widened. She immediately thought of Mr. Molasses. Perhaps magic was real. And if it was, well, this woman was even more amazing than she'd already seemed. In fact, She was everything Katie wanted to be, independent, strong, and kind, too. So Katie carefully took the wand and held it in both hands. She closed her eyes and envisioned all her mother's favorite foods, brisket, corn, greens, and rice. Katie flung her hand toward the setting sun. She waited a brief moment before glancing back at Bonnie. Did I do it right? Is there enough for our friend John, too? Bonnie smiled kindly and nodded. And then some. You did it perfectly. Now, it's far too dark out for me to send you back out on the road tonight. Settle in for dinner. Then you can leave just as soon as you've had breakfast in the morning. Katie knew her mother would be worried but Bonnie was right. She shouldn't be wandering around in the dark. That wasn't a great idea for anyone, grown up or not. Bonnie pulled out a chair for Katie, and the two sat down for the delicious chicken dinner. After supper, Bonnie led Katie toward a spare room in the back. It was stacked with blankets. The mattress felt like a cloud. Katie knew her mother would be looking for her, but she was safe. She would explain it all tomorrow. Katie climbed into the bed, and, feeling light as a feather, she drifted off to sleep. The next morning, Katie awoke to the smell of bacon. Her mouth was watering before her feet hit the floor. She ran into the kitchen, and once again, the table was full of food. Bacon, eggs, fried apples, and homemade biscuits. Bonnie smiled and welcomed Katie to the table. Her plate was already made. After breakfast, Katie could barely move. She had stuffed herself to the point of misery. She stumbled back toward the plush chair, grabbing Oliver Twist on her way. I'll take a quiet rest, then I'll hit the road, she thought as she leaned back into the chair. The heavy rain outside provided a lovely backdrop for reading. Before Katie knew it, it was night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all passed by with Katie barely lifting a finger. Bonnie trusted Katie's judgment. She even left the wand in the library so Katie could feed her mother whenever she felt like it. Katie simply couldn't bring herself to leave. This was the life she always wanted to live. On Friday night, Katie laid down in her impossibly soft bed yet again, as usual, stuffed and unable to move. She was asleep before her head hit the pillow. Hours later, Katie sat up in bed and looked around the room. The blankets were suddenly old and ratty. The mattress beneath her wasn't made of feathers, but rough straw. The wind whipped through cracks in the walls. Somewhere deep in the house, she could hear a maniacal laugh echoing off the walls. I must be having a nightmare. Katie thought. She squeezed her eyes shut, trying to will herself awake, but it was no use. This was a very lifelike dream. Then from the end of her bed, a tiny voice called out. Katie, Katie, down here. The voice was oddly familiar. Katie opened her eyes. Staring at her from the end of her bed was a tiny man in bib overalls and a straw hat, his crooked grin wildly unnerving. Katie recoiled in horror. She tried again and again to wake herself, but it was no use. There was no escaping this vision. Katie kicked at the tiny man, but no sooner had her foot shot out from under the blanket than he disappeared. Katie exhaled, slightly relieved, but the voice came back louder. That's no way to treat an old family friend. Katie jerked her head to the side. Sitting over her shoulder was the tiny man, which is when, with a gasp, she realized, Mr. Molasses? Mr. Molasses nodded. "'Of course it's me. I'm here to tell you your mother is worried sick about you. She can barely get around, and you left her without any word. The only blessing is poor Daisy has no idea the danger you're in with the Imbangala. Katie shook her head. "'Are you calling her a witch? Bonnie is an independent woman, just like me. She's treating me well. I've got more food than I've ever seen, and there are so many books!' The cackling laughter got closer. Mr. Molasses glanced over his shoulder and back to Katie, his face racked with fear. Everything is not wonderful. Bonnie is part of a group of witches dedicated to nothing but evil. Now that she's worked up an appetite, she's going to skin you alive. Then, she's going to eat you. Coming up, Katie runs for her life. Now, back to the story. The dream felt so lifelike, but nothing about it made sense to Katie. She couldn't believe she was talking to her mother's imaginary friend, Mr. Molasses. And more than that, she couldn't believe his message. That Bonnie, her kind, beautiful, powerful benefactor, was going to eat her. Katie's voice shook. This isn't real. You're just my guilty conscience telling me I didn't do what my mother said. Mr. Molasses gazed at Katie, his eyes wide with fear. This is a dream, but I assure you my message is real. You must flee before the witch eats you. The floorboards outside Katie's room creaked. Someone was coming. Mr. Molasses jumped, boot heels digging into Katie's shoulder. He put his hands on his head. Look, I used most of my magic to heal your mother's leg, but... Mr. Molasses pulled his hat from his head and threw it to Katie. It landed perfectly in the center of her palm. When you wake up, that'll be a handkerchief and a comb. It's the best magic I've got for you. Just run! The door flew open and Katie bolted upright in bed. She was back in Bonnie's spare room with the fluffy mattress and the warm blankets. There was no Mr. Molasses on her shoulder or at the end of her bed, but standing in the doorway was Bonnie, her wild curls making a broken halo around her head. Katie called out to her Miss Bonnie? A hungry growl came in reply. Katie's fists instinctively clinched and gripped something. The comb and handkerchief. Mr. Molasses is real, Katie thought. She was suddenly wide awake. She jumped out of bed and dove towards the window. Bonnie cackled from the doorway once again as she fumbled with the casement. It was the same shrill, terrifying laugh from Katie's dream, but the witch didn't approach as Katie finally opened the casement and threw herself outside. Shoeless and freezing, Katie fell to the ground, then immediately jumped up and started sprinting for home. The sun was just breaking over the horizon. She gave a quick check over her shoulder. Bonnie was finally climbing out of the cabin. She wasn't tall and beautiful anymore. Anymore, and the cabin wasn't quaint and charming either. It was the shoddy, run-down shack from Katie's nightmare. Bonnie was a gangly witch with wide, yellow eyes. But now that she was moving, she was moving quickly. As she scampered across the forest floor, the witch pointed a bony finger at Katie and screeched, "'Get back here so I can eat your skin!' Katie looked ahead of her. The tide was low. It was a clear shot across the pool from Bonnie's cabin back to the woods near her home. Sprinting as fast as she could, Katie ran across the tide pool. Seashells cut into her feet as Katie stumbled over the wet sand, hating herself for being so foolish. She should have listened to her mother. She should have gone to the butcher and come straight home. Katie could hear the sound of Bonnie's cackles draw closer. She looked at the comb in her hand. Mr. Molasses gave this to you for a reason, Katie thought. She turned and flung the comb at Bonnie. In an instant, tall trees emerged from the ground. Where there was once wet, squishy sand, suddenly stood a grove of verdant, leafy maples. Bonnie disappeared from view, swallowed whole by the magical forest. Katie splashed backwards, staring at the unbelievable phenomena. Mr. Molasses had saved her. But then, through the giant maples, two piercing yellow eyes appeared. Bonnie was still alive. The witch shouted, "'It's been so long since I've eaten the flesh of Andongo. There's no sense in running. I will catch you!' Katie shivered. The comb had bought her time, but she couldn't waste it. She darted toward the barren woods on the far side of the tide pool. She knew just on the other side of those trees lay the stone gate and safety of home. She just had to make it a little further. Out of nowhere, Katie's foot hit a rock. She flew through the air, landing with a thud on coarse sand. The air shot out of her lungs. She gasped as she rolled over to find Bonnie looming over her, fillet knife in hand. The gangly witch smiled, drool seeping from the corners of her mouth. She had far too many teeth, each one sharpened to a point. How did she get here so fast? Desperate, Katie threw the handkerchief at the witch. It fluttered in the air as Bonnie scoffed. A napkin for dinner. Why, thank you, Katie. But the moment the handkerchief hit the ground, the sand seemed to pull Katie and the witch apart. The distance between them growing by the moment. A river of thick, viscous brown liquid flooded the gap. Katie stared in awe. It wasn't muddy water. It was a mile-long river of molasses. Undeterred, Bonnie trudged into the gooey river, her yellow eyes locked on Katie. Katie stumbled to her feet and scampered through the forest, bare tree branches swatting at her as she ran. But there again was the witch's laughter, right over her shoulder now. Katie could feel Bonnie's breath with each bellowing guffaw. She could feel hot, sticky drops of molasses pelting her back. Nothing would slow the witch down, not a forest nor a river of molasses. Katie had nothing left. She was out of magic. Then from up ahead, she heard heard the familiar sound of an axe chopping wood. Her neighbor was already out working. Katie shouted at the top of her lungs as she ran, John, John, help me. John stepped out from behind a tree with a stunned smile plastered across his face. He wasn't more than a few yards ahead of Katie, but his joy quickly turned to shock and horror as he saw what was trailing the young girl. He waved, Get on the ground! Katie dove as John raised his axe high above his head. Katie hit the ground and rolled onto her back, just in time to see John swing his axe with all his might. The blade cleaved through Bonnie's neck in one smooth, clean motion. The momentum carried Bonnie's body forward a few feet, but her head tumbled backwards. Blood and molasses splattered across the forest floor. Katie gazed in awe, glancing between the sections of the witch, half expecting the body to pick up its head and begin the chase again. But it didn't happen. The witch was dead. John scooped Katie up in his arms and carried her home. She could hear her mother crying with joy as they passed through the stone gate. John eased Katie down onto the steps of her home. Her mother was right there next to her. Daisy wrapped her in her arms and the two wept together. Katie whispered into her mother's ear, I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. Daisy shook her head. Don't you worry about that now. You're safe and that's what matters. Katie stood and helped her mother up the steps, but at the doorway, she froze. Piled high on the kitchen table was a week's worth of food. The wand. Katie quickly patted down her jacket. The long wand poked out of the front pocket. The wand worked and she still had it, which was great for Katie because it was going to be a long time before she left the house alone again. The Magic Wand is an American story with international flavor, a mosaic of witch myths from across the world. The child abduction narrative is reminiscent of Hansel and Gretel, and the comb and handkerchief defense can be found in the Baba Yaga. The story's listen-to-your-parents-or-else morale is familiar worldwide, and magic wands, real or imagined, date back to ancient Greece and Egypt. These traces of other cultures and influences are easily recognizable in the magic wand. Despite its varied influences, the story was particularly salient at the place it was first documented, Hampton, Virginia. Though, especially in the 1860s, the threat at hand was much more dangerous than a witch. In the mid-1800s, Hampton, Virginia had become a safe haven for those fleeing enslavement, and in 1861, three enslaved men escaped and were granted refuge at Hampton's Fort Monroe, setting in motion the many more to come. As times changed, the Magic Wand's theme remained relevant, that finding a safe haven is is often the difference between a happy life and being hunted to death. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new and exciting story. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the entire Season of the Witch special, with four new episodes released every week this month. For more, follow Haunted Places, Tales, and Superstitions on Spotify. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Tales was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him
1: sexual activity with me. These are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.